Hello, everyone. This is Victor Jackson. Welcome to the Bible Centered Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Bible Centered with Victor Jackson. I want to thank every one of you for joining. Uh, I've been having an incredible time going through this study on Matthew. And we're more than halfway finished. Um, after today's lessons, we'll only have eight chapters left. And it's going to be over uh, sooner than we realize. And then we'll have to figure out another book uh, to go in depth in. But I'm thankful for the hunger that is displayed uh, across the different nations that tune into this podcast um, this year in review in the podcast has just been, uh, tremendous. Um, just want to thank you for your support and sharing and, uh, listening, um, to the podcast, to the different episodes. And thank you for uh, your feedback. Uh, the goal of this podcast is to, uh, give the word of God, uh, to the world uh, give the word of God through whatever mediums necessary uh, that this gospel be preached in all the world and given the, just a faithful exegesis of the scriptures, the historical cultural background and how it applies to us today, how we can put this into action uh, for our own personal lives. And so yesterday we wrapped up Matthew chapter 9, verse 1 through 15. Uh, let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 19 and verse 16. Uh, for those of you that have not uh, purchased the book, A Word to the Broken, uh, it has been blessing so many people. Uh, thousands of copies uh, have been distributed uh, around the world, and um, it is still resonating and making a deep impact on people's lives. Uh, there's some other things that we're working on with it that I believe are going to be a blessing to you, and uh, we'll keep you updated with that. we got a lot of good things um, coming. Um, our church, uh, Bible Center of Orlando, uh, we have a service every, every Sunday, 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at 6955 Hanging Moss Road, Orlando, Florida, 32807, and also Central Biblical de Orlando at 1.30 p.m. and in the same location. And uh, God has just been doing amazing things. We're in the middle of an expansion project right now. Uh, I'm going to provide more details of that coming, coming to you. Uh, but I want to thank you for your prayers. Um, let's get into this. I'm excited to get into this. Let's go. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good things shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, 
honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And the young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up, what lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell all that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. I want to talk to you on the subject, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? Matthew is writing to the Jews, persuading them that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the savior of the world, not just the savior of Israel. But as Moses brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, even so Jesus is bringing the world out of sin. Moses, God inspired Moses to write the first five books uh, of the Old Testament. He wrote the Torah, the Pentateuch, and Matthew draws the parallel between Moses and Jesus by going through five discourses throughout the Gospel of Matthew. Um, Moses, five books, Jesus, five discourses, and it's very profound what Jesus is highlighting because he's trying, Matthew is using this life of Jesus to show that your trust cannot be entirely in the law, for Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He's trying to switch their trust from the past into Jesus Christ, who did not come to destroy the law and the prophets, but he came to fulfill it. He's trying to show them the superiority of Jesus to everything, that Jesus is the word, that the 613 laws of the Old Testament, that they are within him, that he is the word made flesh. Now, they the, the Jews were trusting in their actions and their behaviors um and their rituals 
more than a present uh, relationship with God. And it's through Jesus that an authentic relationship with God is possible. For he is the express image of the invisible God. In him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now, to wit, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. That great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preaching to the Gentiles, received, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. Um, that in Jesus is where relationship is possible. But Matthew is showing that the fulfillment of the old is in him, that everything you need is in him, that we are complete in him. Now, this story shows a well-meaning individual and it contrasts the trust between the law and the flesh and trust in God. Verse 16 of Matthew 19, it says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life. Now you can see the Jewish bent here in this time and in this custom. It's what actions, what behaviors do I have to do to get into heaven, to get eternal life. Now you can see from the mind of this person that his heart is set on his ability, his self-sufficiency. What can I do? that the trust is not in God, is not in what God can do for me or how God can empower me, but in my own flesh, in my own ability, how can I inherit eternal life? What is within me? I've made money. Uh, this was a rich young ruler. He's rich, he's young, he's a ruler. He's rich, he's accumulated wealth. He's young, he's accumulated wealth. In a short time span, this shows his desire, his willingness. This shows that he didn't just get it from his heritage or from his mom or dad, but it shows an entrepreneur gift in him. It shows that he had some incredible abilities, that he was a ruler. He was a leader. People looked up to him. Even in his young life, people looked up to him. And somewhere in this accumulation of wealth and ability, he developed the capacity for self-trust and to be self-made. So he felt that what can I do in my ability to get into heaven and to gain eternal life? Jesus understands this. So he says in verse 17, he said unto them, why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, which, Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, Jesus tells the young man, number one, why are you calling me good? There's none good but one, that is God. What he's saying here is, is do you know who you're talking to? Do you know I'm not just a... 
Messiah or just a rabbi or just a good teacher? Do you understand that you are talking to God in the flesh? I don't think you understand it. Watch this. He says he shows him the commandments and to keep the commandments. Watch this, verse 20. The young man saith unto him, all these things have I kept from my youth up, what lack I yet? Now, look at the emphasis of this rich young ruler. He says, I have kept these commandments from the youth up, what lack I yet? Now, again, look at the trust that he has in himself that no one is able to keep the commandments unless God enables them to keep the commandments. No one is able to obey the scriptures unless God enables them to obey the scriptures, that it is through the work of the spirit, the work of his presence that allows us to obey the word of God. But you see the self-trust and the self-sufficiency and the independence that comes with being wealthy and, and being successful. There comes a whole lot of trust in self that comes to that. But Jesus wants to highlight the frailties of trusting in self or trusting in wealth, trusting in material possessions. And the young man says, what do I lack? Man, I've done all this since I was a kid. What am I lacking? I've obeyed the commandments since I was a kid. What am I lacking? Jesus saith unto him, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell all that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So he's saying here, listen, you are keeping these commandments and you're trying to gain something. You're trying to gain a piety. You're trying to gain uh, some type of recognition upon earth. But if you want to measure your, your, your spirituality, I want to know that will you allow everlasting life to affect your present decisions in time? Oh, my. I know you're willing to keep the commandments for how they bless you in time, but I want to know would you allow eternity to affect what you do in time? Because your belief in eternity, your belief in everlasting life should affect your what you do today, how you treat one another today, how you behave today. Do you, do you want eternal life so bad that you're willing to allow it to affect how you behave today? He's bringing a reality of the kingdom. And it's easy for people to say abstractly, like, oh, God, I, I, I believe in, in heaven. Oh, God, I believe in your kingdom. Oh, God, I believe, I believe, I believe. But when heaven starts demanding something of you in earth, the question is, do you still believe? That, that heaven wants to influence your behaviors. And the rich young ruler, he was so time conscious, he wasn't eternity conscious. And God wanted eternity to, to affect him in time. 
He said, so, so, okay, what are you lacking? What you're lacking is that go and sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you're going to have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Now, let's do a, a new lifestyle. Sell everything that you've accumulated, number one. Not only that, but give it to the poor. Now, I know because of your piety, you've given some to the poor, but I want you to give all. Oh, my. A lot of us are content for giving some, but God said, I want all. You're going to have treasure in heaven. What? But I can't see heaven. I know. That's where you got to live by faith. Do you believe it or not? The, 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 the Christian world is, is coming to a fork in the world, a fork in the, in the road where we have to choose if we believe this or not. How bad do we want heaven to come to earth? How bad do we want an end time revival? How bad do we want to see souls and lives change? Because if we want it bad enough, we'll allow heaven to inconvenience us in time. It will, it will disrupt your eating patterns. It will disrupt your, your uh, allegiances. It will disrupt your vocation. If you really want this to happen, God says it's going to cost you something. It's not just going to cost you something. It's going to cost you everything. I love what uh, the feedback that I had to a post that I put a while back where I said it cost a lot to get an anointing. It cost more to keep an anointing, but it cost everything to build upon the anointing that you have. This is not cheap. There's a high cost to changing the world. It's a high cost of commitment to change the world. And it's so easy for us to be content and pat ourselves on the shoulders uh, with our piety by giving some, by giving a little, just enough that's kind of a little bit more than, than our peer groups or a little bit more than people in the past or, or, or the young generation coming in the future but God said, I want all, and all doesn't discriminate. All doesn't look to the past or the future. It looks at what you have. Don't compare your sacrifice to the past or the future. He's looking at what's in your hands and says, can you give me that? Do you believe in, in how bad do you want to change the world? Are you willing to give all? Are you willing to allow heaven to affect you in earth. He says, come and follow me. Now it's a new life. Now, instead of living for making your next dollar, now you're living to please him and to follow him. And wherever he goes, that's where you're going. If he goes to the desert, you're going to the desert. If he's going to the valley, you're going to the valley. If, you're going, if he's going to the garden of Gethsemane, you're going to the garden of Gethsemane. Wherever he is, that's where you're going. Now you're under the allegiance not to accumulate material wealth or make yourself successful in this time, but now it's at, to, to follow him and be subject to his desires. Oh, my.
Can you imagine that's from that self-dependency and self-sufficiency now to follow Jesus where he decides where you go? He decides what time you eat. He an, another person is deciding your life. Ooh. Do we want that side of Jesus? How bad do you want it? How bad do you want your soul to be transformed? How bad do you want to break free from the addictions? How bad do you want to be set free from the drugs? How bad do you want to be set free from the uh, immoral lifestyle? How bad do you want to be set free from these things that are have been a thorn in your side? It's going to cost, but how bad do you want it? It's worth the it's worth the it's worth the cost. It's worth the price. When when the young man heard the saying, he went away sorrowful because he God exposed that he doesn't have it all together as he thought he would. See, sometimes we think that we're serving God and where we're doing God a favor, but God will ask for the one thing that we're not willing to give. We say, God, I give you all. We sing that song, I surrender. And God's like, can I have that? You're like, oh, anything but that. But God, I give you all. Well, well can I have that? Uh, anything but that. You see, God will show our frailty and our humanity to us to show us that to serve him in the flesh is impossible. But with him, all things are possible. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. What he's sharing here is, is that a, a rich person, it's very it's difficult to get into the kingdom of heaven because of the willingness of them to trust themselves and to trust in what they have over trusting in God. He said it's easier for a camel to go to the, through the eye of a needle. Now, he's speaking about the smallest opening in a Jewish home. An eye of a needle is literally a threading needle that, that was in every Jewish home where you put a thread through a needle. And so Jesus is using hyperbole, an exaggerated statement, saying it is easier for a full-grown camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. And so they were amazed, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, with men this is impossible, with God all things are possible. What he's showing here is, is that salvation cannot be earned by our good works. That it is solely rest upon his shoulders. That if we're going to be saved, it's going to be because of him. It's not going to be because of us and our righteousness or our wealth or what we have accumulated in time. It's going to be because of him. This past Wednesday, I taught our church about in Genesis 15, whenever uh, God makes a covenant with Abraham, and the Bible says that Abraham believed the Lord and it was counted for righteousness, meaning that Abraham did not have anything within himself to have a promised son, but he believed and God gave him a part of his righteousness. 
because of his belief. And the Bible says to initiate and inaugurate this covenant, the Bible says that Abraham, that uh, he took some animals and he divided these animals in half, put some on the right side and some on the left side, pieces of these animals, shredded them in pieces, put it, put part of the body on the right side, put the other part of the body on the left side, and it created a path. And in, in this custom, in the ancient Near Eastern custom, what would happen is when you're about to make a covenant with another, that you both would walk down this path together in between the divided animals. And you would say, so shall it be unto me if I don't keep my part of the covenant. Let me be destroyed. Let me be split in two if I do not keep this part of the covenant. If I do not keep my word, let this also happen to me. So the two people making the covenant between one another would walk in between the path of the divided animals. But this is very interesting what God does to Abraham because Abraham is preparing to walk between this sacrifice with God because they're making a covenant together. But God pushes Abraham back and says, no, I'm going to go through this uh, divided path. I'm going to walk it by myself because the full weight of this covenant is not on you, Abraham. It's not on your actions. It's not on your decisions. It's not even on your belief. The full weight of this covenant is solely rest upon my shoulders my goodness, my goodness, that I take the full weight. This was an unconditional covenant where God said, I would have to be destroyed if the promise doesn't come to pass. I swear by myself that I'm going to bless you. And I would have to be split in pieces in order for your, the word to not come to pass in your life. Is that powerful? He's saying, Abraham, it's not in your works. It's not in your flesh. It's not in your ability. I put it upon me. This is the type and shadow of what would happen in the New Testament. God didn't ask any of us to, to walk to this cross by uh, with him. God didn't ask any of us to do uh, this uh, path of salvation where it's a covenant between us and him. He put the entire weight of his of our salvation upon his shoulders upon the cross. Ah, he died upon the cross. My word. He put the full weight, the full penalty, the full wrath of God upon his flesh. God purchased the church with his own blood, not our blood. We didn't purchase the church with our eight-hour prayer meeting. We didn't purchase the church with our 40-day fast. Come on, somebody. We didn't purchase our salvation with our righteousness or our spiritual disciplines, but it rests completely upon his shoulders and is our belief in him that he will enable us to live for him. And it's our faith in him that allows us to pray. He empowers us to pray. He empowers us to fast. He empowers us to believe, to confess, to repent, to be baptized in Jesus' name, to be filled with his spirit, to live a life of sanctification. It's not coming from our righteousness. Our righteousness is but his filthy rags, but it is coming out of his presence, out of his anointing. It rests upon him with us 
it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So if it was up to us, none of us would be saved. But I'm so thankful that it's up to him. He allows us to be saved. Oh, I feel like I'm talking to somebody right now. With us, it's in, see, see, there's commitments that you have made this year, uh, spiritual discipline commitments because of New Year's resolutions and things like that. Let me tell you, you won't be able to accomplish it in the flesh. It's only through God. God's going to enable you. Through him, you are more than a conqueror. Through him, uh, you, you, you have the righteousness of God in him. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So Peter is like, Listen, we left all. What do we get? Because we've sacrificed everything. And look what Jesus does gives them an eternal reward. I'm telling you, you would not, you would have less bitterness if you started looking at your eternal reward. Rejoice not that the demons are subject to you. Rejoice that your, that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You would have less frustration if you got a heavenly view. You, you, people would disappoint you much less if you started looking at your heavenly reward. Oh my. He said your reward is, is an eternal reward. And everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. He's saying that there are people that are going to be selling their homes to get the kingdom. People that there's going to be people that forsake you because of your relationship with God. But he said, you're going to have an, an eternal reward. You're going to have everlasting life. And that's the measurement. The measurement is what, we get in heaven. We have something in heaven that this is a spiritual kingdom. And many that are first in the world are going to be last in the kingdom. And many that are last in the world are going to be first in the kingdom. So Matthew is trying to give the Jews an upward gaze to eternity more than what's in time. Powerful. Love the word of God. This is this is powerful. How do we apply this? We apply this by living our lives with an eternity consciousness. Where we allow heaven to influence our decisions. We allow eternity to influence how we treat one another. It's an eternity consciousness. That even when you are persecuted, the spirit man is growing. That even when you are misunderstood, you are developing. That as they are destroying this body externally, internally, you're growing. You can't stop a spiritual kingdom. 
You can't stop spiritual advancement. You can't stop somebody that believes in God. Don't worry about what they're doing to your body or how you're being persecuted or rejected in the earth. Understand that you have a spiritual kingdom that nobody can stop. The greatest kings cannot stop. Mm. Mm. My goodness. My goodness. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Mm. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom that allows after someone has hurt your family or murdered a family member that somehow you still find the strength to forgive. That's a spiritual kingdom. In time, that doesn't make sense. Mm. It's the woman walking into the courtroom saying, I still forgive you even though you did this to my child. That's a, that takes a spiritual fortitude. That's someone influenced by another world. That's a citizen of a heavenly kingdom. We live by the laws of a different world. Mm. How bad do you want it? Are you willing to sell off for it? Are you willing to commit to it? Are, are you willing to sell out to this? Are you willing to be rejected for your dedication to Christ? How bad do you want it? How bad do you want this revival? It's going to cost something. How bad do you want a demonstration of the spirit? How bad do you want it? Because if you want it bad enough, you're going to allow heaven to influence earth. You're going to allow heaven to influence your daily actions. Not the actions of your peers or anybody else, but heaven. You are held accountable to eternity. God forbid I'm a success in the earth, but I'm a failure in eternity. That's one of my greatest driving forces is that when I go to judgment, that God tells me, Listen, you had all this stuff in you, and you didn't do it. You were successful by their standards, but my measurement of success is obedience. And so I put a lot of stuff in you that you didn't give to the world. Mm. And so maybe by secular standards or by Christian modern standards, uh, I'm... <clears throat> I'm a success in some fashion, but in light of eternity, I'm falling short. And I need God to help me to obey him and help me to accomplish everything that he's put on me on this earth to accomplish. I've got work to do, and I want it so bad. But I, I cannot do it in the flesh. I cannot do it in my ability, my intellect, my background, my education, my past, my history, my credibility. If I'm going to do it with me, it's impossible. But with him, all things are possible. So I've got to abide in him to fulfill his will. I want it so bad that I've got to abide in him. I want it so bad that I've got to deny myself, take up my cross and follow him.
I want this so bad that I'm willing to sell all to have it. I challenge you today to do whatever God is asking and requiring of you to do, to do it. I'm challenging you today to be willing to pay the price to be what God is calling you to be. You may lose friendships. You may lose relationships. But I made up my mind a long time ago. There was a song that I listened to before I ever got saved. I listened to it a thousand times before I got saved. And it's a song that says that if I told you what I really need, would you still say yes? Said, I might have to give up some relationships, but my soul says yes. He said, I might have to give up some things that I hold dear to me, but my soul says yes. Friends may come and friends may go, but if you leave me, Lord, I'll follow. And before I got saved, I made a commitment to God that God, if you ever, if I ever heard your voice and you ever asked me to do something, God, my answer is going to be yes. I didn't know he would ask me to give up basketball. But the answer was already sealed in my spirit. It's going to be a yes. I'm not going to tell the Lord no. Because his will is better than my will. And you don't know how many people are tied to your yes. I don't say yes. I don't have a podcast. I don't say yes. I'm not married to my wife. I don't say yes. I don't have my two beautiful children. I don't say yes. I don't have... Uh, I'm not pastoring this church in, in, in Orlando that we started, that we planted. If I don't say yes, there, there's a whole lot of things tied to your yes. That was just one decision of yes, but you know what? I had to keep saying yes. If I don't say yes, I get off course. But I'm influenced so much e from eternity that it's affecting my life in time. It's affecting my behaviors in time. I challenge you to say yes to God. I challenge you to say yes to God. How bad do you want it? You show God how bad you want it by your willingness to say yes to whatever he asks and whatever he requires. If you want a fresh touch in your life, see, people have received God's spirit where God is dwelling in your temple, but the issue is he doesn't just want to dwell in your temple. He wants to be Lord of your temple. And the problem is that uh, we, have, we, are, we have become, uh, uh, we have allowed God to uh, cohabitate in our homes. We've allowed God to live there. He just can't be master there. He can live in our temple. He just can't be the head of our temple. He's, he's, he's in the house, but we're not allowing him to be Lord of the house. We say, God, come in, and he comes into our, our home, into our vessel. But he starts wanting to touch stuff. He starts wanting to touch pieces of furniture, and we say, hey, you can live here, but don't touch that couch. You can live here, but don't go in that room. You can live in my temple, Jesus, 
but don't touch bitterness. You can live in my temple, Jesus, but don't touch that grudge. You can live in my temple, Jesus, but don't touch that sin. And that whatever we're telling God no to, we're not allowing him to be Lord of our lives. Mm, allow him to be Lord of your life. God, touch what you want to touch. Touch the bitterness, the anger, the unforgiveness. Touch it all, God, because I want to be conformed into your image. I want you so bad that I'm willing to allow you to affect everything that I do in time. Share this podcast with somebody. Thank you so much for joining us. I look forward to the next episode. We're gonna we're getting through the Gospel of Matthew verse by verse. I honor you. I love you. I respect you. Appreciate each and every one of you listeners. Looking forward to connecting again soon. God bless. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, for more information, you can follow my social media page, Victor M. Jackson, or you could come visit us in Orlando, Florida at Bible Center of Orlando. Thank you for joining us. God bless.